Welcome to the Yoga Connection with Zorananda. The Yoga Connection is a deep dive into everything yoga. Follow along with Zorananda and his guests as they discuss yoga history, spirituality, different practices, and the many misconceptions that have followed along throughout the years of yogic tradition. Hello and welcome to The Yoga Connection. My name is Zorananda, and I have the pleasure of being in person with an amazing woman. Her name is Shakti Jivankar. Um, she's a yogini, and more importantly, she is a relationship life coach, particularly in the realm of step family and step motherhood. And uh, she plays a beautiful role in allowing people to see who they are in their relationship, the relationship to their partner or lack of partner, and the relationship to their children and stepchildren, and how they can be empowered to play that role in the healthiest way they can, and also to be encouraged that they're not alone in this world, and that there is someone like Shakti to guide and enlighten them on their journey in their step family and familyhood in general. So, hello, welcome. That was the best introduction I've ever had. Thank you. I just thought of it. That was fantastic. <laughs> I can't even top it. <laughs> I find myself. It's, it's interesting having these kind of conversations in a podcast like format. So I try to remind myself that not to really change my voice and to talk as if we're just having a conversation. Um, but what I love about, um, having a platform and podcasting, it's like, it puts me into this way of thinking that is just like so spontaneous and so smooth and, I feel like I have a good knack for it. And so it like, it encourages me to be my best self, you know, and to also, um, hype up the person that I'm talking about, right. Or talking to. And, uh, yeah, so this is going to be fun <laughs> and we're in your home and it's mm -hmm. a beautiful home. Thank you. Yeah. So you. set and setting is place. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, who are you? Mm. What do you do? Mm. I am Shakti G1, uh, also commonly known as the Step Queen. Mm -hmm. Also previously known as Brittany Lynch. And I am... Mm, I am someone who dreams of a world where there is no violence or hatred or separation and I find that our family is supposed to be the place where we feel the most safe and held and supported and unfortunately for so many of us our experience of family is not that hmm. yeah I think I think that I think it's important in this era 
because we have the internet, because we have social media, and now we have access to so much information, to be willing to learn new skills and new ways of of raising each other, right? Because we're both from the same generation, you know, we're like in our mid thirties. And so I remember a time before social media, before the internet and, um, where abuse was just normalized, right? Because the amount of information that was out there came from what, right? It came from TV shows or books and it didn't really come from this medium where you can have a portal into just normal people's lives, right? We're watching TV and we're watching scripted stuff, right? We're watching fabricated stuff of what we think a family should look like. Family matters and home improvement and yada, 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 right? And so I think it's, it's like courageous to take up the mantle of what you're doing right of like stepping forward and being like recognizing the step family is there's and and maybe this is just my naivety or my lack of knowledge but it's like that maybe there isn't enough being done Mm -hmm. is that like how you felt Mm -hmm. going into it Mm -hmm. that's a great question um I would go so far as to say back like in our generation in the 90s when we were being raised, the parenting paradigm was just this is the way that it's always been done, right? This Mm. is the way my parents did it. This is the way your grandma did it. This is the way this, that, the other thing. And I would say really, really kind of more conscious parenting or more more intentional choices and how we even look for information on how to bring a family together. I would argue that that's kind of more recent. Um, other than that, it just is inherited. It's just like passed down through your lineage. Like my, this is how my mom parented. So this is how I'm going to parent. And, and when I became a stepmom almost 10 years ago, I wasn't able to fall into the unconscious patterns in other words I couldn't parent the way that my mom and grandma and great grandma parented because my experience with raising children was this child whose whose life I'm a part of he's not my own Hmm. and so I can't get away with the kinds of things that a biological parent could get away with right so for instance many of us who grew up in the 90s were spanked Right. Yeah. And that just because that was the common experience doesn't mean that that is the right thing to do. Yeah. So so the contrast of of, you know, the way I thought parenting was supposed to be done and and the way that I had to stop myself from just impulsively doing what I thought a parent would do created enough separation and space in this pocket where parenting would just be kind of like done automatically. It created this pocket where I had to pause and be like, okay, wait a minute. You know, just because I got spanked 
right? Is that actually the right thing to do? Just because I got put in a corner, just because kids get, you know, their privilege is taken away, just because kids get their doors taken off their hinges, whatever. And this isn't meant to, this isn't meant to point fingers at any parenting style or any parenting decisions or whatever. The way that I got into this work, however, was because I couldn't just do what everybody else was doing without giving it a thought. So I, so I was invited into this space where I had to consider what is actually the right thing to do in this instance. And so for a lot of step families, I find we are kind of being called to a different level of awareness in our families because we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the right thing to do in this situation? We can't just fall into, we can't just fall into the way that it's always been done because there's a different dynamic. So it creates a lot more, I would say like a little bit more kind of chaos because people have to look at themselves differently and look at their relationships differently. So it creates a little more wobble. Hmm. Um, and at the same time, evolution in that wobble because because people are invited to, to consider, you know, is this the way I want my family to look? Is this the way I want to show up in my family? Is this the way I want to raise kids? Is this, who do I want to be here? Who do I want to be in this family? Yeah, it's interesting because it's like through the generations, each set of parenting can't help but idealize that what they're doing is the best thing, like quote unquote, best thing for their child, right? And it reminds me of that like meme of like, and it's like a drawing of like, there's one set of parents that are like, and there's like a squiggly line and it's like a bubble of speech bubble that's like, you're useless and then it and it's being said to the kid and that kid's a parent and then it's like you you should do, know better you should do better and then it finally goes to the last one where there's like a break and it's like then it's like after three generations there's the parent that breaks that cycle and tunes out what is, is this like generational trauma and is like i love you mm -hmm. and i accept you and like it's amazing that we we have access to just like a simple picture that can point out precisely what can be done in this case right and just exactly what you're saying like as much as we want to look back and have like anger or have um confusion or just like ill intent to our ancestors Right. I think um, the thing that helped me is to acknowledge that th they were brought up with this ideal of they know the best for their children. And that's where that's coming from. But then to really do my part in deciding that. Um, it's my responsibility to bring healing to those generational traumas and that like, maybe my brother won't, you know, maybe my sisters won't. And I don't have control over that. Like I can tell them as much as I can. Like I have a niece, like I don't have any kids, but I have a niece and you know, like I can tell 
you know, Adam's wife, Jess, as much as I want to be like, don't yell at river like that, but it's not going to change anything. Right. Cause I'm not the authority. And I think that's kind of goes into like the step family thing, right? You, you have a partner that has kids and then just because you're the new partner, right. Of the other person's kids, you're not the authority, at least maybe not yet. And that I think that authority is more so earned than it is like granted, right? Because when you're a parent and you birthed that child, you brought that child into the world, you created it, you are the authority, right? And so to then be in a situation where you're not immediately granted that authority, you have to earn that authority, then I think there's so much value in having someone like you that says, this is how you earn that authority. This is how you step into the role as um, a more embodied step parent so that that child can look at you and they feel that you deserve the respect. Mm -hmm. You deserve the attention. And, and this is, this is, uh, this is a really this is a really important distinction to make here that that i think that for a lot of people the intention behind parenting is obedience you want obedient children you want them to do what you say when they say it you don't want them to ask questions you don't want them to push back right you want well-behaved kids and so the, the kind of older parenting paradigm is how do I raise obedient kids? Mm. And the way we raise obedient kids is through fear and shame and punishment. And so when I think of the word authority, what is tied in with that is fear and control, right? Yeah. Where, where in this new parenting paradigm, the respect comes from the level of respect that we treat our kids with Mm. because kids do what we do not what we say so if i'm going to be you know if i i'll just use spanking because i used to be pro spanking right i used to be like think i was like what do you mean you don't spank your kids how do you make it do what you say right and that was my exact phrase yeah what do you mean you don't spank your kids how do you make it do what you say so dehumanizing, right? Yeah. Right? Um, and so if I'm going to say, you know, don't hit your sister and then spank my kid to teach them not to hit my hit their sister, that doesn't make any sense from any way of looking at it. All that it is is a reinforcement of the behavior you're trying to get them to not do because you know your higher self knows we shouldn't hit each other, right? Mm. Your higher self knows don't hit each other. But the old parenting paradigm says, okay, we'll make it do what you say and this is how you make it do what you say is you hit it so it gets scared and it doesn't do it again. But we know that that's not how it works. So if I want to teach my kid don't hit your sister, I have to do that by not hitting anything. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me, so there's this comedian, Louis C.K., and he has a bit about, I'm just trying to remember this, um, that there's a point when the child is going to do something that puts themselves in danger when they don't realize it, 
right? And that um, he is in the same realm of like not hitting your children and not uh, like disciplining through spanking. But then there's a firmness when it's appropriate when they're about to do something that is like clearly dangerous and they and they need and they do need like the recognition like they need to be snap into like oh i might have just hurt myself right and and it's not in the realm of like they're being spanked but like i i wonder if um like what you think on um like in the moment of firmness where it is it could be helpful or could be necessary for you as the adult to exercise your strength, not in a way that's like harming them, but it's signifying to them that without you there, they would have like, they would have hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, does that make sense? I think what I'm, I think what I'm hearing, I think the question I'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong. The question that I'm hearing is like, is it ever okay to assert force on your kids? Yeah. And in what circumstance is that? Yeah. Is that, is that okay? Okay. So, so let me be clear. I'm not a perfect parent. I still yell at my kids, Mm -hmm. right? Like I still lose my temper. I still have big anger. I still say things I don't mean to say. I still hurt them with my anger, right? I still do. I still spill my anger on my kids. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a perfect parent and that I'm always emotionally regulated and I'm not going to pretend that because it's not the case. Yeah. Um, and usually the times that I have the biggest reactions and the biggest responses is when I have the biggest amount of fear. Mm. And so sometimes that fear can come from a healthy place. Like your kid is going to run out in traffic and I have fear. So I'm going to grab them and stop them. Yeah. And sometimes that fear can come from an old pattern Hmm. where the fear response is not actually rational. So for instance, if my son slams a door, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like slamming a door arguably is probably kind of a healthy expression of anger because it discharges some of that energy. Hmm. But if I have a fear response patterned into my body because of loud noises or door slamming, or I have some kind of trauma tucked away somewhere that when people slam doors, this bad thing happens subconsciously, this triggers a fear response in me. So if I'm going to react the same way, if my kid is slamming a door as I am when they're running out in traffic, that's my work to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I think that's, it's good to make that distinction, right? That like to check in with yourself that like, say for that example, you know, your kid slams a door that if it's triggering something in you, that's going to cause you to react and have an outburst. Um, you know, I think just generally as an adult, you know, we, we want to distinguish between like, how do I want to say it? Like what's appropriate or not. Right. And for a kid slamming a door, like, it doesn't matter if that's appropriate or not. Like the kid's going to learn that like, as they get into become an adult, like, Oh, it's just not appropriate for me to slam a door, but the kid's not really going to know better. So you can't really like, it doesn't make sense to then respond to that by like abusing them, like running up to them, going to their door and like, you know, 
removing the door at like completely or like yelling at them right and because i like i would remember when i was a kid and i'd get into arguments with my parents because i want to get something and they don't want to buy it for me or i want to go somewhere and they say no and then like i have my meltdown and i run to my room and i slam my door and i never had my dad or my mom run up after me and freak out on me because i slammed my door they would just let me be and then I would come down later and then my mom would be like, are you done? <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. You know? And so like, and I, and I think, um, and I, and I wonder if you, if you'd agree with this, that like leaving your kid be is like a way for them to figure out self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Like that's what thought came up to me in my mind. Cause when I think about when I was a child and like I'd run to my room and slam my door and cry in my bed and I'd have this like mantra in my head of like, Oh, my, my parents hate me and like, they don't love me and like blah, 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 blah. And then it's just like, it's going, it's like a hamster on a wheel going so fast. And then over time it starts to slow down, it starts to slow down and then it's like less significant. And then I would just kind of sit there by myself and I'd be like, I don't care anymore, <laughs> right? I just like it, and immediately it's like I'm self-regulating, and it's just because I'm given the space to do it, right? So there's, so I have a lot of things to say on this actually, because yeah. because you you really identified though what gets patterned. You're in there by yourself in your feelings. You're little, right? You're a baby. Yeah. You're a baby. The human brain doesn't finish developing until the age of 25. So the part of the brain responsible for logic and reasoning and emotional regulation and being able to understand other people's perspectives is not finished developing until the age of 25. Mm, So you have a five or 10 year old kid who's by themselves in their feelings. You don't know what they are. You don't know. You don't know. So, you know, you feel terrible in your body. Your brain is dumping out all kinds of chemicals that make you feel terrible in your body. And then you are alone by yourself in this experience learning when I have big feelings, nobody is there for me. Mm. So, and, and at the same time, Sometimes as a parent, you need your kids to go the F away Mm -hmm. because you are doing everything in your power to stay emotionally regulated and not have a reaction that is going to create more damage. Mm. So there's this really fine balance, right? Where I want to be able to be there for my kids all the time when they're in their feelings because I don't want them to be in their room by themselves looping on the hamster wheel saying, my mom isn't there for me. My mom doesn't love me. My mom is not there, right? So so my stance is that in these moments of meltdowns, the first thing I need to figure out is my for myself is do I have the capacity to be able to go after him? Mm-hmm. Do I have the bandwidth to be able to stay regulated and go into this meltdown with him? Because if not, I'm not doing any good by going in there. I'm not providing any reassurance. I'm not providing more safety. Right. But if I have enough, I can still go sit on the other side of his door and poke my head in and say, I'm right here with you. 
but we're both going to take a breath, but I'm here with you. You're not alone, right? Mm. And it doesn't matter how mad he is at me. It doesn't matter how much he doesn't want me to be there. He still is getting programmed and patterned with this, even when I'm having a meltdown, even when I tell my mom I hate her, even when all of these things happen, even when I have these big emotional experiences, she's still there with me. So then the story when he's there can be, I hate her, right? But it's not, I'm alone. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I, when I look back on, I had a, like a, I have a particular memory, um, where I was just like in my room crying and looping that, right. That like my family doesn't love me. They don't understand me and all these things. Um, that my way of, of coming out of it, um, was to come out of my room, go outside and play, run, release it that way, and then come back for dinner. And then to see that my mom is feeding us. Right. And then it like, it would switch something in my brain that I'd be like, just in that simple act of my mom being there cooking dinner and feeding us that I was like, Oh no, no, no. My mom like does love me. My parents do love me. Um, and, but I like what you're saying because like my parents wouldn't like, they wouldn't come and console me. Right. Like I had sisters. So like my, my mom and my, my dad would be like, go deal with your brother. Right. And so, um, from what you said, like, I like that approach where like you can show up and your child can still have their meltdown, but they know you're there present. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I know that would have shifted things in me if I went to my room and my mom came up and knocked on the door and was like, I'm here and that's it. Right. That would have been so reassuring. Cause when you're a kid, it's like, um, like trying to remember, um, that when my parents would show up, it's like so comforting. Right. And, and so I just see so much value in that. And so now like looping to like the step parent, right? Like how different is it doing that for a stepchild? You know, like how different is it when you show up for your child and how they, how they can like immediately feel comforted as opposed to like showing up for a stepchild, like, what does it take for them to have and know that trust that they're being comforted um, by someone who was a stranger at first, you know, who they had to like, they had no other choice to accept that they're like, that this new person is their mom. Right. Mm -hmm. There are so many nuances to this. Um, 
so I think that the most one of the more important things to look at is kind of the 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 expectations around step parenting and the social expectations around step parenting and the social expectation that a step parent is supposed to play that same role as a parent and we're not that's Mm -hmm. not the role of a step parent if it happens organically because that trust is developed and and someone and that and a specific child develop that kind of bond organically where you just kind of fall into the role as safe person that's different than thinking you need to contort yourself into that role because that's what the social expectation would be. Mm. So the stance that I took when I was a stepmom and the, the, the invitation that I extend to my own clients is the consideration that these kids have parents. They have a mom, they have a dad, they have two moms, they have two dads, whatever the makeup is, right? Mm-hmm. And so my position as a step-parent is not to be another parent. Yes, I am a parent figure, but my responsibilities and my investment of my time and my energy and my money look different because this child already has parents. Mm. And and so the there's a there's a myth. There's a myth and misconception that the value of a step parent equates to the value or the level of closeness that they have with the kids. And there are many ways to be a good step parent without needing to have that kind of organic biological bond. Mm. So this is one of the really empowering parts of the work that I get to do with step parents is saying, well, who do you want to be? Yeah. Who do you want? What kind of role do you want to play in this kid's life? Mm. Right. What do you want? And for so many, for so many parents, That's not a question. You don't get to decide as a parent what kind of role you want to play in somebody's life. You're it, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you have, you have to do everything because you're the parent. When you're the step parent, you get to say, listen, this is my job description, right? This Mm -hmm. is one of the things I do with my clients is we create a literal job description based on what are your values, you know? What are your values? What do you feel good about contributing? Let's start there. And then that way there gets to be there gets to be a container that's opened up for a relationship to develop because you have to build a brand new relationship with a brand new person. Just because you fall in love with somebody's parent doesn't mean you automatically love their kids. Hmm. And vice versa, just because your mom or your dad has a new partner doesn't mean you have to like them. Right. And we need to give permission for that reality to be there because that is the reality. And uh, um, I think this goes into the realm of what you were we were talking about before we started re- um, recording that like you're a contrarian, right? And so I can't help but assume that there'd be a lot of people who would hear that and they would be like, nah, like being a step parent means that you're the parent to that other person's child, right? And so to be able to flip it and to shift the narrative and to say, and to ask like, who are you to assume that? Right. And so this is like kind of, uh, for me to try to grasp and what I'm hearing is you're entering into, first of all, an adult's life, most likely not even knowing that they even have any kids first, right. When you first meet someone, right. And then you learn they have kids and 
before the kids are even introduced into the picture, before you even meet them or anything, the, I'm like trying to find my words here as careful as possible, <laughs> but uh, there is a choice, right? Like, and this is what I'm hearing is like, you have a choice as a new person in this family's life to have a degree of influence, right? And so, um, like, for me, I love kids. And I have a niece that I have a really strong bond with. And so when I think about being with someone who has kids... naturally I feel inclined to eventually at some point like want to be a part of their life. If I'm like getting more and more serious with that person. And, um, and so the thing that, um, I would want to like check in with is the appropriateness of it. Right. And, and so that I can't assume that I have the permission until like it's granted right mm -hmm. if that makes sense and yeah i think it's a tricky world to navigate right because um i think that's the important thing it's like it's not only that it's also what age is the child you know is the child like a full-on teenager and into their later teens and do they even care, right? Like, they probably aren't going to see their mom's new boyfriend as anything significant, right? Or are the kids, like, toddlers, you know? And where they probably won't really realize the significance of that new person until, you know, five or six or seven years down the line. Um if that's like, you know, if that, if the relationship goes on for that far. So, um, that's why, um, spending more time with you and learning all this stuff has been really fascinating to me. And, um, and that's where I think it's, um, you know, it's honorable. I remember, I remember watching this video and oh, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't send it to you. <laughs> But it was this like older teen boy who went up to his stepdad and with like, you know, like with emotion asked to be adopted, you know, and it was just so touching, right? After like years of, of this man being in his life that like he finally as like the stepkid like came to a point of realizing and recognizing how significant this man was in his life that he went as far as when he became like old enough to um like cr create the, like further that bond and that commitment of, of fatherhood right and asking his stepdad to adopt him, you know? And it was just like this beautiful moment of them embracing and crying and, um, you know, so 
I think, um, and you know, for me, I'm, you know, I'm like 36 and I desire to be in the role of a father. I, I desire fatherhood. Um, and when I look at men who have taken on the mantle of, of being a stepfather, um, there's something so like courageous about it to me. Um, and because like, um, you know, if we, if we think of ourselves primordially, you know, if we were to go into nature, it's very rare that that happens, right? Like you'll watch videos of like, Oh, this mother duck and like, you know, adopted some like little ducklings and stuff. But like in nature, it's like, where do you see the male animals like taking that on? Right. Like you, you just don't like, if anything, they're like extremely violent about it, you know? And so to then jump the evolutionary gap to humans and then you have this primordial shift in males suddenly like finding the courage in them to take in this child that's not theirs biologically. Um, and then, you know, there's like both sides of the story, right? There are men who do it and like end up being the most abusive piece of shit ever to this like you know seemingly like innocent child that isn't theirs right but then just like in that example is then you have these men that step up and it, it like almost leads more to like mentorship you know it's like this father figure is seeing that there's an opportunity to like mentor this child into what they really want right so um you know and like uh i would say the closest example for me would be my music producer john like i see him as a father figure and a mentor in music right like specifically the like the vein of music and our friendship has gone so far that it went from friendship to mentor to like father figure mentor where he can say to things about me he can say things to me about how i'm playing and it sounds like it's coming from fatherhood and it's so much more impactful and i just and i embrace it so much more because i know it's coming from care it's not coming from this place of like you fucking suck like you know it's coming from hey i want you and need you to do better this is how you do better. And it's been a huge blessing, right? And even just speaking it out loud, like right now, I'm having that realization right now, right? And that's what's so amazing about these conversations and doing podcasts like this is like, you can talk things out and you can have like amazing in the moment realizations. And, you know, I, I don't think I would have had that realization without having this conversation with you, right? And, 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 and it's really, it's really, uh, important. I think that you kind of identified those three stages, right? Where like, first you became friends, first you became friends, right? And then he became a mentor and then he became like a father figure. Mm. 
And where we try to skip ahead as impatient humans in the step-parent role and, and as a biological parent who's potentially bringing a new partner into the role of parent is we want to skip to the end. Mm. And it doesn't work like that. And so if I have skipped to the end and I'm saying, right, I want you to do better. Who are, right, who are you to be able to say that? Yeah. That develops organically over time through moments and moments and moments of trust. Mm. Right? Because then that's what we teach. This is what we teach kids is like through, it's not just like, oh, you taught me one lesson and now I get to listen to you forever. Yes, like you have taught me everything. It's like, are you there in these moments that these little tiny moments that add up? Right. And so this experience that you have with John has been that he's been there consistently through all of these little tiny moments. Yeah. So that when he finally is like, hey, here's some big feedback. You have an entire history of little moments to pull on to be able to come to this idea of like, oh, this is actually really supportive. Whereas if that whole stack of moments didn't exist and he was like, here's this feedback, you'd be like, well, you're a jerk. Right. Mm. So, so, you know, one analogy that I give often is like, we've all, we've all probably like worked in a place where somebody new has come in, in management. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, let's use the name John. Cause it's top of mind, right? Like John, John's here to be the new VP and it's John's first day. And John's got all these great ideas and undoubtedly they're great ideas. Right. Mm. But there's a culture here. So if John comes and moves the motherfucking coffee pot to the other side of the office, right? You don't get to do that. We have the coffee pot here for a reason. Yeah. So first you have to connect and then you get to correct. You don't just get to come move the mm. coffee pot. You have to connect first and then you see if you even want to correct, right? We come in as step parents a lot of the time and I to say this because I was one, right? and I work with them, we come in as step parents, we have kind of a bird's eye view of things. And we're like, oh, well, I can see the writing on the wall if these patterns continue. So I'm going to step in and fix this. Yeah. Right. And also you don't under, we don't understand when we come in as step parents, why those patterns exist. We don't, we don't have enough of the picture. All we see is what we see from the top through our lens. And if we're coming at that of like, what can this family do for me? Right. Mm. And how do I fix this family so that it can serve me and my interests? This is where we have the Cinderella story narrative playing out Mm. because we're kind of trying to come in and control what happens, not because we want what's best for the kids necessarily Mm. or the family. Right. And this is a human tendency. We all do this. We all do this, whether it's in parenting relationships or work relationships or friendships or whatever. It's just kind of human tendency to sink into this thing of what can these relationships do for me instead of how can I contribute to this relationship? Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. And I like um, that little statement, like first connect, then correct. And like, even if, there is correction that needs to be made. And like often not because we're messy, you know, mistake ridden humans, there are things to correct. Right. And like you're saying, like to provide the feedback, it does initially take trust. 
you know? Um, and it's like a conversation that we were having earlier, um, that trust brings harmony, right? And, um, to assume that you're going to walk into this family, like this family's night life as this new person. And then all of a sudden administer all these corrective measures. It's like, how would you ever expect anyone to listen to you? How would you expect anyone to respect you when you're basically showing up like a bulldozer <laughs> and like, and trying to tear down walls rather than seeing what it takes brick by brick to build something that is safe and is a container for, you know, your partner and your, and the and children to like grow and thrive and, and flourish. Right. And, um, and that's where I, like, I come back to that example of that video of like that boy going up to his stepdad and asking to be adopted. Cause it's like that it grew to that moment. Like there was growth that was taking place for that child to recognize as like soon to be young adult that the next stage in their growth together as like soon to be equals as adults is to really deepen the bond of um of like their stepson and stepfatherhood right and yeah wow and this is a new this is a new topic for me, right? And um, and I think largely why I find it fascinating is because it's something that I've never had to think about, right? And um, and yet I think it's more common than people think. Um, and though it's more common um, that because like it's never been in my world that there's more information about just generally relationships than there is about like what it means to um like really strengthen the bonds in, in step families because um i've heard stories over my life of like how things just turn out terrible right and how you know, whether it's the new girlfriend or new boyfriend, just like totally take advantage of the situation and like, you know, cause abuse and, and stuff like that. Like we kind of touched on earlier, but, um, so you made a shift in your business that from what I understand has to do with like an evolution that took place in you, which is the difference between Brittany Lynch and Shakti Jeevan Carr. So what happened? Mm. Mm -hmm. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So like we've already established, I'm a contrarian. And so, you know, my, my education, my education background was in nursing. I used to be a registered nurse. 
and I worked in a lot of brain related fields. I worked in psychology or psychiatry, sorry, psychiatry and mental health and neurology. And so I really developed this fascination with, with the brain and the way the brain works. Then I became a step family counselor and I did things by the book as most new folks do. And I worked with my clients the way the book said to work with my clients. And I prescribed things that the book says to prescribe in order to help establish step family relationships. And then I realized that I didn't like the way that it felt to do that. One of the, one of the, you know, kind of by the book suggestions is like you help your clients set their family up like a business where everyone kind of has a, uh, everyone has a predetermined kind of structure and a predetermined role within that structure. And so it, essentially it was like, if you, if you want your step family to work, then set it up like a business. And then this is what the, this is what the female head of the household will do. This is what the male head of the household will do. And the kids will kind of fall in line in obedience underneath that. But I mean, I've been, I've been practicing yoga for probably close to 15 years um and I've been you know studying spirituality for a significant period of time and on a path of personal development for a significant period of time where I've come to this realization that that Everything you have externally as a reflection of who you are internally. In other words, if my life is chaotic and my life is dramatic and my life is painful, it's because I have chaos and drama and pain inside of me. And if I, and if I am attempting to manage those things with control measures like establishing female heads of households and male heads of households and running family meetings and telling everybody you know everything in its place and a place for everything I'm not actually dealing with the stuff I'm not actually dealing with the stuff I'm just I'm just establishing control measures around it to prevent myself from getting triggered meanwhile my world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because everything triggers me you know, uh, I, I, I used to work with a shaman and he, he would always say, uh, if you squeeze an orange, orange juice will come out. If you squeeze a lemon, lemon juice will come out. If I squeeze you, what will come out? Mm. So I realized that this way that I was working with my clients and specifically I work with step moms because we have even kind of a, we have a, a really kind of interesting, I believe in my interpretation, kind of core wound that leads us into stepmotherhood. Um, but what I was, what I was realizing was this misalignment between what I knew I was supposed to be doing and what I actually believed in my heart. Hmm. Right. And that, and that is also like the, the, evolution between Brittany Lynch and Shakti Jiwan, right, is, is this is who I think I'm supposed to be, to be socially acceptable, right, but this is who I actually am, and that gap gets harder and harder to ignore, mm. so the shift in my business, I still do the same work, I still work in, in, I still work with relationships, except 
Now I don't come at it from a place of this is what the external structure needs to look like in order for you to be successful. Now, since I've stepped into this in my own life where I'm led by my heart and, and by my intuition and I trust myself and I love myself, this is the way I live my life. And this is the way now I get to invite my clients to live their own lives, to establish their own homes, not because of control, but because of who they really are and what they really want their life to look like. What do you desire? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So it seems like Brittany Lynch, though you had... Your registered nurse, st- step family counselor, that there were other tools that were missing that Shakti Jeevankar introduced, and and through this evolution of um, your identity and this like new sense of yourself, is that it opened up this pathway and opened up this opportunity for you to take on new tools that is that can be more adaptable and more um more digestible and in a way where the level of integration that needs to take place can take place like does that make sense the only thing I would adjust on that is that it's not even really about new tools. It's not about doing more or having to change who you are. It's about it's about unwinding from who you think you're supposed to be. Yeah. It's the permission to let go of the things you think you're supposed to be doing to be good enough. Mm. And I wonder if that touches on like what we were speaking about earlier is like, you as a step parent um like who you want to be in that role rather than what you're assumed to be right as like societal pressures right who do you want to be what role do you want to play in this family Mm. not what does the role prescribe for you yeah right if this is the prescription of what it means to be a mother, I'm confined by that. If this is the prescription of what it means to be a father, I'm confined by that. Who gets to decide that? Yeah. Right. Who gets to decide that? Yeah. And it's going to be unique to every situation, right? Like you were saying, like if, if that child already has like, um, you know, has a set of parents and there's co-parenting and the co-parenting is awesome, you know? And then like, the father has a new partner, the mother has a new partner. And it's like, then those new partners, there isn't a demand for them to replace the original parents. Right. And so like who they want to be in that role is going to be unique in that situation then. Right. Mm -hmm. And so say if like, there's a situation where there's parents, but say the father dies and it's a single mother and then she meets someone And that's a whole new situation then. That's a whole new dynamic, right? So then, like, then is there going to be this kind of, like, natural demand for the new boyfriend to replace the father? And it might be just subconscious. Like, the the kids might not even really be fully aware that they're doing it. Or that there's, like, a strong resistance because 
they don't want this man to replace their father. Right. And like vice versa, if it's a mother that passed away or whatever, or, or you know, but, um, that's why like there's, there's definitely a complexity to it then that needs to be appreciated that, you know, you can't just hand a rule book to every family that's generalized and be like, yeah, this is just how you do it. But then in the rule book, it's like, well, my unique situation isn't like accounted for here. Right. And this is where then I, I, I truly see the value in you in your work because then you're like, you're removing the mask of the rule book and you're going, no, 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 no. this is a unique situation. And as a coach, I'm dealing with each family and each mother, like in this case, like, because you're primarily dealing with women that like you're seeing each one as a unique case. And like, though you may not interact with everybody that listens to you, right? Cause you have a successful podcast, you know, you have a growing social media, but you're going to have mothers who come to you specifically individually and um and where you get to really fully spend time with them right through like your coaching program and um and i think that's really like so valuable than just going to chapters and buying a book on step parenting and being like oh yeah this will work and it's like that's just coming from my naivety and hope right because um, you know, if, if you're a single mother or you're a single father and you're desperate, you know, then you're going to seek out through that desperation and try to find the tools and find, try to find the information and the knowledge to get a grasp on what's happening. But, you know, as, as good as those books can be, right, because you're working on a book and, I'm, and you know, you're going to want people to uh, buy your book but there's then the next step right and um so what's the next step well most people most people roll up on our virtual doorstep because they have read every book out there you know they've read all the books and they've listened to all the podcasts and they've and they've done all the things that the book has said to do and yet their relationships are still kind of in, 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 I don't want to say shambles, but you don't show up at home every day feeling excited to be there, right? Mm. You don't wake up every morning feeling grateful for your family and you're like, mm, I don't think I like this. And we don't obviously have to feel this way every single day. We're people, right? I don't even like myself every single day. So how am I going to like everybody in my household every single day? Yeah. But... You know, this, this, this kind of pit that sits in our tummy and grows and is like, I think there's more to life than this, right? Like, uh, I don't know, but I don't think this is it. We know, we try, we know that we know that, right? And there's only so long we can ignore that nudge before it starts to really weigh on us and, and, and kind of make us sick, right? It can make us sick physically, it can make us sick mentally, it can make us sick emotionally, it makes us sick spiritually, this this connection and relationship really really can affect all of your domains of health and wellness you know and and creates chronic stress we as humans evolved to be in community our brains are wired to be in community we evolved to be social creatures there's been research done that shows that being isolated 
is just as damaging to your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes every single day. It lowers your life expectancy significantly not to have a supportive community of people. Mm. So when you live in a home where you feel disconnected, this goes back to kind of full circle moment of how we began this conversation. Your home is supposed to be this place where you feel held and loved and supported and connected. Mm. And when you don't, the, 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 impact on that on yourself and the people you love is significant so what is the next step it's different for every person right the question is how much suffering can you tolerate before you decide to do something different how much when is enough enough and that's going to be a different threshold for everybody and everybody has a different value metric on the kind of help that they seek out um there are there are zillions of ways that people can get support and only you know what that is for you, right? Hmm. Only you know what that is. Yeah. And I think that's as, as much as more than ever now, people want to like bash on social media I think this is the beautiful thing about social media is that you can stumble upon this stuff far easier than you can like just kind of randomly out in the world. Right. Um, and I think, cause I think kind of getting to a final point here to wrap this up. Um, think like what you just said is that um you want to you want to have the courage to ask yourself isn't it is enough and is it enough you know like is enough enough um and And this might be a little bit vulnerable of a question, but um, like, where did that show up in your life where you were like, I've had enough of this and something has to shift and something has to change. And, you know, what fundamentally came out of that for you? Um, the first time, the first time that I, uh, kind of took the plunge and worked with a coach. Okay. I spent 5,000 us dollars on a coach. And I'd never worked with a coach before, right? I'd been to therapy and things, but I knew, I knew I needed something different than what conventionally was offered. Mm. And 
And I think that there can be a lot of misconception out there about, you know, like, oh, life coaches are overpriced or whatever, where it's not therapy or it's not covered by my benefits, so I'm not going to do it. And the beautiful thing about coaches is that as a coach, you get to develop your repertoire based on what your heart tells you to do. So if I, for instance, you know, my, yes, I'm a registered nurse. Yes, I'm a set family counselor. I also have a a holistic nutrition training. I'm a mindfulness-based intensive therapist. I have all of these tools in my toolbox because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not confined by a regulatory body. I still have a code of ethics that I adhere to, adhere to, but I'm not confined by a regulatory body about what I am able to support my clients with, mm-hmm. right? So if so, I get to support my clients through Kundalini yoga practices and mindfulness-based interventions and holistic nutrition and science. So I get, I get this opportunity to put together this really unique methodology of how I'm able to support my clients. And so when I took this plunge to work with this first coach of mine ever and paid 5,000 US dollars to work with this person, it was a big decision for me, right? Like that was a big decision. And I don't know how many years of therapy I would have had to spend in order to get even close to where I came after only a few months of working with this coach. Because the way that they can package and deliver information, if you find a coach that you resonate with, if you find a methodology that you're like in your body, you're like, I know that this is the way, the one, like I know that this is the way. There's a reason for that, right? And there's a reason that coaches will, I know this is a yoga podcast, I guess I can probably be a little more, <laughs> I don't have to be so limited with what I'm saying. But if, our, if, if as coaches, we're following our dharma and we're going where we're supposed to be going and tra- training in what we're supposed to be training in, our clients aren't paying us, our, our clients aren't paying us for what we know. They're paying us for who we are. They want to know how they want, they want proximity to that. They want proximity to the, to the power of authenticity. They want proximity to the power of courage. They want proximity to someone who can be a contrarian and pave their own way and develop their own methodology because they, that develops trust. Mm. If you can stack all these little moments up and do something so that when I see you, I'm like, oh my God, they get it, right? She gets it. He gets it. They get it. They know. They know something I don't know, Mm. right? Then I want to pay to be in that proximity. And by being in that proximity, because of the way that energy goes, you just absorb it. You just become that as well. You are who you surround yourself with. Mm. So when, so when... I took that plunge. I kind of saw the writing on the wall of like, if I don't do this, because what I have done up to this point has gotten me to this point, and this is not a good point. Mm -hmm. Right? This is probably uh, over 10, this is probably 10 years, probably around 10 years ago. Um, Yeah. And, and the way humans are as well is like, that was not the first coach that I've worked. That's not the first or the last coach that I've worked with. Right. It's, it's not just about finding one person that you resonate with and then you're all good. Mm -hmm. Personal development is a lifelong 
commitment. Right? Yeah. Evolution is a lifelong commitment. So, yeah, I guess it, it really, we make these decisions all the time, right? I can do what I've always done and I'll get what I've always gotten. Or I can choose to do something different that might feel a little bit scary because I've never done it before. Hmm. The choice is always mine. But we know. Yeah. And I wonder if that's the intimidating like factor of really any kind of self-development. So if it's in the realm of yoga, if it's in the realm of coaching, self-help, that the money part is kind of an excuse. And it's understandable when, you know, you have a budget and, you know, we have soaring prices of everything, right? And you're just a you're a human that has naturally limitations on limiting beliefs and and whatnot of like, oh, I can't afford this thing because I have yet blah, 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 blah. But then like, what's the root of it, right? That what is keeping you in the realm that you're in, in perpetuating the limiting beliefs is that there is an intimidating factor of becoming fully your powerful self like fully stepping into the role of what your dharma is and what your purpose is beyond your monday to friday nine to five job beyond your role as a parent beyond your role as a student beyond that like the the universe is speaking to each and every single one of us that we have a greater purpose as being a human and because the of the reality that we live in and the systems that build up the cities that we live in and like the world that we're in money is a huge factor in how we contribute towards really stepping into the fulfillment of who we are as powerful human beings and so what it can mean to have five thousand dollars to spend on a program that will be life-changing and that's the thing not could it be not if will be life-changing that you are the determining factor for that life-changing experience and what it takes to gain the finances is going to be a leap of faith right if it's borrowing money if it's saving money if it's getting another job if it's like those are in the moment exercises to establish how you become more abundant right and you have to start where you are and it you're not going to get that by fantasizing about it simply and solely you're not going to get it from beating yourself up that you don't have it and you need it it's going to come from you start where you're at okay i have this job and it pays for all my necessities pays for my house pays for my bills pays for my food my gas my car and then what i do next to enable myself to take a course like say a course that um shakti has is that you're real with yourself and you okay you know what, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to go apply for this job and pick up some extra shifts. And it's a sacrifice. You're sacrificing time 
ex- like your free time for money, right? So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to work in the evenings or I'm going to work an extra day or two on the weekends. And this is, I think, the thing that people struggle with is because I think the the comforts that we have in our world and the frivolousness of our day-to-day living is that we reward ourselves with needless money spending for the tasks that we've done in a day. So we'll go like, oh, I worked a long, hard day, so I'm going to go buy this thing. You know, like, oh, I, like, you know, took care of, you know, my mom's dog for the weekend. So I'm going to go buy, you know what I mean? Like we're weirdly rewarding ourselves for things where if we were to just remove that and be like, I actually don't need to frivolously reward myself for something. And I have a bigger dream. So I'm going to sacrifice the little meaningless rewards so that I can build up to reward myself with a bigger dream. And that might take two years. And it's going to be so much more fulfilling than the freaking tubs of ice cream or the treats or the pizza or the restaurant that you probably have spent $2,000 on in a year. And, and it's just interesting that like, we just don't, we don't want to have the faculty to think of it that way that we're going to think of a course that's like, Oh, it's 5,000. Oh, I don't have $5,000. It's like, Bitch, in a year, you spent $3,500, uh, $4,000, $5,000 on so much shit, mm-hmm. you know? So the, you know, the, 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 first of all, we always, we always find the money for things that are important to us. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now this statistic is going to blow your freaking brains apart. Okay. Ready for this? Yeah. Average cost of a wedding in the United States 35 25 to $35,000, okay? One day for a wedding. 25 mm-hmm. to $35,000. No fucking problem, right? Need the best dress, need the best cake, we need to have good catering. 25 30,000 whatever, okay. Sure. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that that's not that much money, right? Average cost of divorce in the United States, $15,000. So we're at $50,000 roughly for a marriage and a divorce. And would you like to pay 2 or $5,000? to invest in your relationship so that you can, you know, not have to pay $15,000 on a divorce or, you know, for your $35,000 day to be for not mm-hmm. that, that, Oh, I, I need this wedding dress is there. Oh, I need this honeymoon is there. Oh, maybe I can, maybe I don't, I can't, don't have the money for relationship support. I don't have the money for that. Why do we do that? Right? Mm-hmm. Why do we do that? It's not because we don't have the money. Mm. And it's not because we don't see the value. Because we do. We know that that thing will help us. So this is a question to reflect on. Why do we not do the things that we know we are supposed to be doing that would make us happier? And it's not because mm. we don't have the money. And it's not because we don't have the time. And it's not because we don't see the value. Interesting. Oh, and I just had a thought. So 
I wonder if if a part of it is like um like value in yourself. Mm. So I'm looking at someone who has a coaching business and they have this coaching package for $5,000. And because of my limiting beliefs and my own negative self value, I look at that and I project that onto that person and I go, that's not worth it. So what am I actually saying? Because if I were to develop that, I would want people to think that what I'm doing is worth it. So I think that's where the shift can happen, where you look at that and you go, you know what? It is worth it because I want to do something that's valuable for people. And so if I see that that program has value and I pay into it and I learn everything that I need to learn from it to like better my relationships, better my health with myself, then I create something that magnetizes people into my life to see that what I have to work offer has value. And, and I wonder if that's the hang up there with people It's because they, they just, they don't see it in them to have the value to offer something that, um, has like a greater monetary value. And then it's just like this weird self-sabotage, right? And that they just, they're just not seeing it that way. They're actually sabotaging themselves by not doing it. That's exactly, this is, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And like what I said earlier, we don't pay coaches and mentors because of what they know. We pay them for who they are. Yeah. And anyone who can say, if you want proximity to me, you have to pay me 5,000 US dollars. I want to be around these people. Yeah. Right. Because I value myself like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if you want to talk to me, right, you got to pay to play. Yeah. Wow. And not because I'm greedy, right? No. Not because I'm greedy, but because it takes a certain quality of of personal growth and evolution to be able to value yourself enough not to give yourself away for free. Mm. I, me, my energy, what I, who I am, I'm too valuable to bleed out for everyone like I used to. Yeah. And in a society where we're expected to give everything away for free, hmm. right? It's a hard, there's a lot of work that goes into people see coaches charging five, 10, 20, hundred thousand dollars for coaching packages. And they think that greedy mother effer, right? Yeah. The amount of work that has to go into having the courage to put a hundred thousand dollar price tag on a coaching package is a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of work that had to go in behind those scenes. Mm hmm. Right. And all you have to do is ask yourself the question, what could I ask someone to pay me a hundred thousand dollars for? And if you have this little noodle in your stomach, that's like, I could never do that. Right. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. And, um, and I wonder if that like goes into uh, like a kind of ROI or right? like a return of best in investment, right. Where, um, you are, you're building yourself up so that what you're putting in and investing into that program is because you know that you're going to turn around and get the return, obviously not from that coach, but it's so that the system is being set up so that when you do turn around and you go into the world to, um, offer what, you know, what you're passionate about, 
that the that hundred thousand dollars turns into a million dollars right it turns into ten million dollars and that there's this reciprocation of exchange where then it's like each person is kind of like feeding into each other it's like yes i'm going to invest this five thousand dollars into you because i'm going to learn this program and then i'm going to have the courage and i'm going to have the support to then go into the world and create it myself and then in that year that five thousand dollars now just turned into forty thousand dollars and i just generated an income for myself Mm -hmm. and yeah, we're just jumping through their portals. Yeah. We're just jumping through portals. We're portal hopping, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. They're like, here, I made this. And you're like, dope. Let me jump through. Yeah. Let me jump through. Mm-hmm. And this is the way I want to lead my kids. Yeah. Right? This is the way I want to lead my kids. I want to lead my kids to follow their hearts. I want to lead my kids to value their time. I want to lead my kids to value their energy. I want to value my kid. I want to, I want my kids to see me valuing myself. I want my kids to see me resting. I want my kids to see me loving and being loved and enjoying life and getting lost in a flower for a moment. Mm. I, this is how I want, I want this life for them. So I create it for myself because kids don't do what we say. They do what we do. Mm. So this all ties back into, you know, whether it's relationships or career or work, the same thing as career, whatever. I don't know the words. Yeah. School. School. It all, it all comes back to the amount of love that you have for yourself and the amount of value that you have for yourself. Mm. That's it. That's it. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. So where can people find you so that they can learn more about what you offer and where they can follow you and where they can purchase your coaching packages? Mm, Thank you. Um, So I have a beginner program called the seven days to family stress detox. And in less than 10 minutes a day, you can reduce your stress by at least 20%. 10 minute practices, body, mind, and spirit practices. You can just go to stepfamilystressdetox.com to get it. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram and everywhere at the step queen, just like it sounds. Um, and you can find my podcast at the whole step family on your favorite podcast player. Sweet. Well, thank you. Mm. This is great. Um, yeah, no, um, you know, it's called the yoga connection. I call it the yoga connection to connect to real world situations, to bridge our daily life with what yoga is, which is unification. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy. Mm-hmm.